Well, we're back. So we, as found out last week, we're back now in our study, expositional, consecutive, expository study of the book of Luke. And we're now in chapter 8, having looked at the first part of that chapter, uh, we discovered another parable of Jesus. And last week, we considered Jesus' teaching on what was called, or and is called by many, the parable of the sower. Uh, it also is called by some the parable of the soils. If it's the parable of the sower, it's talking about Jesus, and by reflection uh, of us as his followers, casting the seed, the sowing, doing the sowing. But it's also the parable of the soils, and maybe that's more to the point because it's talking about which kind of hearers are those that were hearing in these vast crowds as Jesus was teaching. But who was really listening and who was not? Who was not paying attention and was actually trying to find a way to derail Jesus and his ministry? And who was the good soil? And so that parable, if understood, gives us an insight into what goes on with those who sit under the word. What a appropriate, uh, okay, uh, and Teresa uh, inquire uh, just the message for today. It's just spot on uh, for this and uh, fits so uh, beautifully in dovetails. Our scripture reading is found in Luke chapter 8, verses 16 through 25. Once again, I remind you, this is the word of God. Hear it with careful attention. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care, then, how you hear. For the one who has, more will be given. And for the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then his mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. And so they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep and a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filled with water, filling with water, and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind 
and the raging waves, and they ceased, and there was a calm. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this? That he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. The grass withers, the flower fades, but God's word abides forever. Let's pray. Father, once again, give us light and understanding in your light. Be our lamp and our Lord. Today we pray. And always, in Jesus' name, amen. Today we are seeing Luke doing another one of his transitions from the importance of listening to Jesus' teaching to now beginning to focus on Jesus's actions and that's going to be primarily more of those actions are going to be next week in our series but there's one of those that ends the second part of today's passage the first is still keeping on with the idea of hearing the word of God Jesus calls for a response in those who hear his teaching. He always did, he always does, and he still does today. If you hear and you're under the word of God, there is an appropriate response that Jesus demands and expects and calls for and invites us to. He also demonstrates, as we will see today, and in the next week, a number of things that demonstrate his power and his authority over the creation. We could call it, instead of uh, show, show and tell, we could call it tell and show. Because he's, going, he's been telling us about hearing his word, and now he's going to show us this week at the end and next week more of his power that he demonstrates very simple outline today the lamp and the lord the lamp and the lord guess what they both are jesus they both are jesus let's see how that unfolds uh the lamp that's in verses 16 through 21. And actually, you're going to see what Luke does, uh, one of those things that he does uh, a lot. He couples things. He doesn't just make sometimes a statement. He sometimes will make that statement and couple it with something else. And we're going to see that he does that in the, right in the middle. But it's still basically, for our purposes, we're going to consider it the lamp and something that also conveys that same message, and then we're going to be looking at the Lord and what he did on the sea or lake of Galilee. Now, in verses 16 through 18, Jesus 
gives us a mini parable. He's already given us a big, the parable of the sower or the, or the soils. He's already done that. But now he's also giving us a mini parable. And you would think, well, maybe he's changing the scene. He's going, he's going in a different direction, to, uh, uh, direction or to a different subject. No. This parable is still putting out the same message and the importance of what Jesus has already spoken about those who need to hear. And it's actually in this passage that's the summary. Those who need to hear the message of Jesus. Hear with appreciation and attention. Now, what about this parable, this mini parable? It, it, it basically is exposing the foolishness of anyone who would get a lamp to provide. A lamp is for the purpose of providing light. And so if we, you have a lamp and you're given a lamp, you have possession of a lamp, how foolish and stupid it would be for you to take that lamp and put it under a bushel, or sometimes it's said under, in this case, a jar, in other words, a, a vase or a jar or a water holder or something. Why in the world, if you needed light, would you take the light that you're given and then basically bury it, put it out of sight where it can't bring any more light into the room? Like the lamp in a house, the truth of the gospel is meant to be used. It's meant to be put out and put on a place where it can be seen and heard. It was never intended to be hidden and put away. And that's what Jesus is saying. Now, the main point is utility. The main point Jesus is making is utility. Use it or lose it. If you don't use the light, you can't walk in it. If you don't listen to me, would be another way of saying it, but using a different, not that, not that metaphor. If you don't use it, you will lose it. It was never intended to be hidden. Some people think that this parable is about the shining of our own little lights. You know, we have this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You know, that's a biblical truth. And it is true. But not here. This passage, I don't believe, is talking about our lights shining out to others. It's talking about the light who is Jesus is here among us. And now are we going to hear? Are we going to follow that light? Are we going to make that light central to us in everything that we do? Are we going to bask in that light that comes from our Lord Jesus? So the summary point is watch therefore how you hear. That's in verse 18. Watch therefore how you hear. That summarizes the, the big parable of the sower, and that summarizes what he's saying now in this light metaphor. 
It's all about watching out how you hear. It's about his, how his disciples, whether it was then or whether it's now, receive God's word. These are just metaphors, word pictures. But they are all pressing the same point. How do you hear the word of God? Are you listening to it? Are you receiving it? Are you hearing it? Now, in verse 16, that's in verse 18. In verse 16, that verse shows the intention of the revelation that Jesus brings as the light of the world. It's Jesus that's the true light that's coming into the world. John's already told us that. Luke is telling us now. He is coming into the world as the light of the world. And then in verse 17, it seems to be a little confusing. It's hard to understand. But I think that that is suggesting that the revelation that Jesus brings when he comes into the world, which he's in the world now in this gospel, he's right there, all of these people, thousands and thousands of people around him, he is being the light of truth to the world as he's walking on the shores of Galilee and the surrounding areas. He is the light. But as he does that, this is implying, Luke is implying, it's going to become progressively clearer that Jesus is the light. Now, that's not going to happen in the short run. Things are going to go downhill. But Luke is telling us that that light is not going to be extinguished, not even death itself, because he's going to rise again. And his light is going to begin to spread all throughout the whole world. That's what I believe that he's referring to there. So that suggests the revelation of Jesus Christ and what he brings will become progressively clear. And what really matters is, again, how we hear. God is at work among those who hear Jesus' word. Light begets more light. That's what the, that section is talking about. Uh, we get more light as we respond to the light. And the opposite is also true. The light fades from those who handle it carefully. I mean, carelessly, careless, not carefully, carelessly. For those who handle the light, Jesus, his word, his truth, they handle it carelessly. They end up not experiencing the light of truth. Uh, there was a, a um, little booklet um, in uh, back in the again in the early days when I became a Christian, one of the I could I never have been a fast reader, and, and this was a nice thin little book, but it was a book by A. W. Pink. Some of you know that name, and uh, A. W. Pink, and it was entitled "Profiting from the Word." Profiting from the Word, and, and his point was, okay, great. You say you're a Christian. You got a Bible. Good. You got the word, but are you, are you reading it? Are you listening to its message? Are you receiving it? Are you profiting from what you 
read and what you hear through the word spoken in a tape, in a message, in a book, in your Bible, are you profiting from your experience of the word? Or are you simply, well, I got that, it's over there on the shelf. Is it something that you feed off of and hunger for? Is it something that you long to gain insight and profit from? I believe that's the point of what Jesus is saying. Now, in verses 19 through 21, Luke introduces an incident that seems to, to basically jump the track. It seems to have nothing to do with what I just said, the, the lamp, the whole lamp analogy and all that. And then all of a sudden, here comes the family, Jesus' earthly family, and they show up. Now, Luke's not real great about always tying connections and how and when. It might have been a, a quite a time between these three things that we're looking at today. But all of a sudden, I don't know where, there they are there and they want to see Jesus. What's that got to do with what he just said? Well, uh, for one thing, it's, he's, he is the light. <laughs> and he's, still, he's the light uh, still in this situation. Uh, but Luke introduces this incident that inter seems to interrupt the flow of the narrative, but it actually doesn't because it's still the same point. Luke has a literary strategy that he uses. He makes the same point in two different ways. Makes the same point, but in two different ways. Already said, basically, Jesus is the light. You need to follow him, keep him prominent, profit from him. Well, here he's now saying Jesus is greater and his light should be followed over any other thing that comes to basically try to see if it can get to a higher level and get on top. In other words, even family has to take its place before Jesus Luke, again, his point is that if we do what Jesus says, we show that we are the true children of God. Not by what we say we're going to do, but by what we do. And if we follow his light and read his word and believe his word and receive his word, we will be, we will be blessed. We will be and so Jesus makes this point in connection with his own closest relatives. He basically says, all right, here are my family. Now, a lot of people think that the family was, was basically, um, some people think they were being selfish, wanting to get a, you know, some of Jesus' time and all of that. I don't necessarily think that's, that's true. I don't necessarily think that's true. Um, and I'll tell you why. You see, without disowning his mother, he didn't say, get out of here, woman. I don't want to have anything to do with you. There was no curtness to what Jesus said to his mother or his brothers. Or, and, and he didn't do anything that showed them disrespect. But he did put things in proper perspective. 
He put things where they are in the order, the pecking order. Yes, you're my family. I love you. I appreciate you. But I have greater business to be about. I am about my father's business. And so it wasn't that he and somehow was shutting them down. He was trying to say, you don't understand. I'm about my father's business of greater importance. So without disowning his mother, he put things in perspective. The supremely important thing for him to do was the will of his father. And at that moment, the demands of the family were second, second rate. They, they didn't line up with God's will at that point in time. Not that they didn't plenty of other times. Jesus showed respect to his earthly parents. So it's not something here, but it's, it, Luke is trying to say, again, the priority was for Jesus to be who he is, the light, and be about his father's business, not to be putting family first. A lot of people go around and say, family first, always. That's not true. Not if you're a Christian. If you, you have a greater allegiance beyond your... People say, blood's thicker than water, right? Not in the kingdom of God, it's not. Not in the gospel, it's not. It doesn't mean that you have to turn your back on your family. But it does mean that you need to recognize where ultimately if something comes to rub and Jesus was showing in this case, this is the greater thing. He could have found his way to them. They couldn't get to him. But he was about his father's business. You see, this was the main thing that Jesus was saying. He took the request of his family and used it as an opportunity to explain what it means to be belong to the family of God. His comment wasn't directed so much at the family as it was to the people who were listening. That's important. It's not, again, that he was trying to even speak, send them a message. He was speaking to all of those other people crowding around him, pressing in on him, and he was still on that same point of how do you hear? Are you listening to my word? Are you receiving my light? So, now, what about the Lord? That's the other one is shorter, verses 22 through 25. Uh, real seamen don't get scared in a storm, right? Uh, no, I, I think Tim would probably disagree with that. Uh, real seamen sometimes do. Uh, some of them are tough, and they, they can handle a lot. Uh, and uh, But to say they are always... Uh, able to handle a storm no matter what happened, that's not true. So, you know, let me give you one more relatively contemporary, at least this century, or, um, example of that. Many of us remember growing up, if you were sometime around my age, or, or maybe you've heard it again since then, it still gets played quite a bit. Many of you remember a song called The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. It was a song that was put in a, to a driving beat of Gordon Lightfoot's guitar. 
and it's one of my favorites. But, um, of course, it's a story about the Edmund Fitzgerald and how it foundered in the, up in one of the lakes. I can't remember, Superior. I think it was Superior. Um, a huge, huge, largest ship, uh, along with a sister ship, that had ever been put on the, the lakes, the Great Lakes. But they hit a, one of those once-in-a-century kind of storms, and it, it went down quick, and all was lost. And um, so, uh, th this is how one, um, one line from that. Um, With a load of iron ore, 26,000 tons more, than the Edmund Fitzgerald weighed empty, the good ship and true was a bone to be chewed when the gales of November came early. Well, you know what? That's kind of what happened on a little bit probably smaller scale, but still a very violent, stormy scale on the sea as Jesus was trying to get across to the other side. This storm came down on them so fast. Such or similar conditions were coming to a peak unknown to Jesus' disciples. They were fishermen. They knew how to handle rough waters. They were expecting, there were a lot, I've told you before, the, the, what happens in the Sea of Galilee, the Lake of Galilee, and the, because of the mountains, it sets itself up to produce a lot of storms. But this one was something apparently Edmund Fitzgerald-like in terms of, of its force. And these disciples were, at the end of the day, they were directed to sail across the lake and Jesus took a nap. How, how he was able to do that, uh, and apparently was able to do that even as the storm was thrashing and all around. You know what happened. Violent storm, and then they call upon Jesus to help them because they know they're, gonna, they're going down. Uh, Jesus, of course, rebukes the storm, and then there is dead that's interesting, that word rebukes, that's, that's, that's used in a number of places in the Old Testament where God is basically bringing his walking in judgment on the waters and, and rebuking, stopping the powers of darkness. In this case, the Old Testament God is the one who controls the sea. That's our, that's our God, Yahweh. First in the creation story, he controls it there, and then in the flood of Genesis 7. So imagine the disciples thinking uh, when they watch this man stop this raging, raging tempest. And it says, by according to Luke, they were afraid and marveled. They were afraid and they marveled. Two different things. Connected, but two different things. By the way, here's a, here's a, 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 a Mary Baker uh, a hymn that she wrote, Master, the tempest is raging, said, no waters can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies.
In other words, <laughs> they were with Jesus. They should have been able to gain comfort from that. But it appears that they didn't. You see, the point of the miracle of that passage is verse 25. And we meet two questions. Two questions. The first one asked, was asked by Jesus when he saw that after he had calmed the, the storm, they had cried out, we're, we're, we're dying, we're perishing, we're not going to make it. We're going down for the last time. Jesus said, where's your faith? Where's your faith? You see, he's asking where their faith was in this particular circumstance. Jesus wasn't saying, hey, you know, you, he put up with all kinds of times when their faith failed. He knew that. He knew they were mortal. He knew they were sinful. But he was basically saying, didn't you realize who you were with? Don't you begin to know who does the kind of thing I just did? And if you're with me, you're not going down. I'm not going down, and you're not going down because you're with me. It wasn't an outright rebuke of, of their having no faith, but in this particular circumstances, he was right there with them, and he had calmed the waters. So, if Jesus was with them, shouldn't it have made some kind of a difference? That's the point. You know what? He's still asking that of you and me. When we get in our situation, in a circumstance where we're caught in something that looks like we're going down for the last time, maybe not physically, but it's, it's a situation in which we are beyond our own limits, we can't handle this, it's beyond us, Jesus is still asking, where's your faith? And again, not saying that you, he doesn't understand that you will fail in your faith as I do. But don't you know that I'm with you? I promise to be with you to the end. I will never leave you or forsake you. Whatever happens to you, I go with you. That's what he was saying to them. He's still saying that to you and me. The second question, the second question was asked by the disciples. Jesus asked the first one of them. The second one is asked by the disciples. When they said, who then is this that commands even the winds and the waters and they obey him? These guys knew they were way, way over their heads about what had happened and who they were with. They thought they understood who Jesus was. They got a totally different perspective on that day. Luke says they were afraid, but they were not shaking because of the storm. Jesus had already calmed that. They were afraid of Jesus himself. They were terrified 
at such awesome power. The power of God. They weren't afraid any longer of the sea. They were more afraid of the master of the sea. Who can be and do this? You see, Christ, Jesus, has all the normal needs of humanity. He was a little baby. Remember? We're saying, what child is this? In, in the season, we just passed the Christmas season, we're saying, what child is this? What is this little baby? And he was God incarnate. But this same Jesus is now the same God who created and who sustains and controls all of the elements. And he speaks. Not only is he the needs of humanity, he speaks with the voice of deity. He is human. He is God, the God-man. Don't forget that. And it's he that is with you and me if we're his children always. Come what may. Come what may. Don't forget it. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have promised. And in our weakness and in our frailty, and when we fail in our faith, Lord, help, help us to at least be able to understand that you're with us. And we, and we may not know how it's going to turn out or where it's going to lead, but you're going to be with us and you're promised to do that always. So, Father, may it strengthen our faith in you, Lord Jesus. And, Father, may, may we be able to walk in the light with your Son. We pray this now in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Let's stand for our hymn.